All right, last week we heard from the Lord concerning our church life together. And today we're going to hear from the Lord concerning our home life. This is what is called in somewhat tech speak, this is called a household code. And household codes were rather common in the ancient world for the stability of society. Um, but the, the New Testament household code is quite different, as we're going to see. This, uh, this code starts in Colossians 3.18 and goes down to chapter 4, verse 1. The, the chapter break between 3.25 and 4.1 is unfortunate. It should be after verse 1, really. Uh, but um, So that's the whole code that makes up the paragraph and... We're going to look at 18 to 21 today, and then five weeks from today, we'll look at the rest of the paragraph, okay? That's the plan. Let's uh, look at the Word of God together. Hear the Word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for um, your clear direction and your clear commandments. I pray, Father, that you would give to us your spirit so that we understand these things, so that we take them to heart, and we faithfully apply them to our lives as your will is. So give to us, Father, all your help, because we can do none of these things that we're asking for on our own. Transform our lives and make us like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Every summer at my mom and dad's for a few weeks, it's cousin camp. And um, this past year, my mom got this uh, vertical hang-up banner kind of thing that spelled out the rules at grandma's house. And because it's grandma's household rules for her grandchildren, you know what that means. There's nothing strict on there whatsoever. All they have to do is say thank you because they're going to be spoiled rotten for the duration of their time there. The ancient world looked upon children vastly different from the way that we look at children, how we consider them. It is actually a tendency in our world uh, to idolize children. That really wasn't as much of a problem back in those days. So the household code was uh, rather common there, but it wasn't it wasn't directed to children. Um, it didn't really benefit them that much. 
Household codes weren't even written to women in that day. They were written to men and for their benefit. And the household code insisted that the man of the house was all authoritative. Now today, liberal criticism of the New Testament's household code accuses the apostles Peter and Paul of pandering to the society and simply conforming to that society as Peter and Paul also stress in their writings the headship of the husband and father. Now, we need to know something that is so key for us, that the household code of the New Testament doesn't belong to any bygone age. And it doesn't belong to any age of this world. As someone who has died to the world, you need to realize that in every age, the Christian home subverts the culture and stands in remarkable contrast to it just because the New Testament household code is so thoroughly Christian. So if your home conforms to the New Testament, your home will be countercultural. And that would be the case whether you lived in the 50s AD or even in the 1950s. Let me remind you of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. We are no longer alive to the world. We have been made alive with Christ. And look back at these first few verses of the chapter. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your whole life belongs to Jesus now. So let the world say what it will about the New Testament household code. About these commandments. Let the world say what it will. We must be faithful to Christ because all of our life belongs to Him. He is the Lord of everything. He is the Lord of the creation. He is the Lord of the community. He is the Lord of the church. And He is the Lord of the home. And He is the Lord of you. And so there is no aspect of your life that Jesus does not touch. He lays claim on every square inch of your person and every square inch of your relationships in all of those spheres, the creation, the community, the church, and the home. He is Lord of you and your relationships. Before there's a few things I want to cover before we really get into the the meat of this text, but let me so let me uh, set up the structure real quick. This will help to clarify things for you. First of all, for this paragraph, there are three pairs of relationships. And so three sets of commands. The first pair concerns wives and husbands. The second pair concerns children and fathers. And the third pair concerns slaves and masters. So you should notice that the so-called man of the house is distinctly addressed in all three pairs as either husband or father or master, as the case may be. For our purposes, we're only going to cover the first two pairs today. But I want you to realize up front how very different the Christian household code is from that of the first century. Typically, as I alluded to a moment ago, the, the children and the women were not even addressed. Slaves were not addressed in the, the typical household code in the ancient world for two reasons. Because they didn't have any choice in these matters anyway. And in their view of things, 
they didn't merit the attention. And so the Bible does a number of things to subvert that attitude. Number one, Paul obviously addresses women and children and slaves. And second, in each of these pairings, significantly, he puts them before the men. Now that might seem like a rather covert way to subvert the patriarchal establishment, but these would be glaring differences in Paul's day. And then there's another thing too. In each of one of these pairings, we have the explicit reminder to wives and children and slaves who their Lord is. This whole letter emphasizes who is the Lord. And unlike Paul's, the, the world of Paul's day, he clarifies that the man of the house is not him. So he is emphasizing to women and children and slaves who their Lord is and showing them that it's not the man of the house. And now Paul isn't saying, wives, children, slaves, you better submit because Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not what he is saying at all. God is raising up their bowed heads and their downcast eyes and fixing them upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is impressing upon the men that those under their charge do not belong to them, but belong to Jesus Christ alone. Let me read a a quote here from David Powell. He says that um, it is the consistent affirmation um, in the Hellenistic, just word for Greek, in the Hellenistic household discussions, it is a consistent affirmation that the authority lies with the male head of the household. But here, we have these repeated uses of the title Lord. This is The whole letter talks about the Lordship of Jesus, but it's really packed in densely in this paragraph. In chapter 3, 18, 20, 22, 23, and then chapter 4, verse 1, there is the reference to Jesus as Lord. And so that not only qualifies the secular social conventions, but it challenges the very basis of such structures of authority by noting that this husband slash father slash master is but a slave himself to the master who is in heaven. That's chapter 4, verse 1. I don't know if you followed all of that, but uh, I think it's very clarifying and helpful. All right, let's get into this text. Verse 18. Wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. God has given the ultimate responsibility for the family's obedience to God to the man. God has given ultimate responsibility for the family's obedience to God to the man. And under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, wives are called to submit to their husband's leading. Listen, from the very beginning, you have to recognize in the Genesis narrative that it is Satan's aim to overthrow this order. Who did God create first as the head of the family unit? And to whom did God give the charge of obedience? It was Adam. 
And who did Satan come to? To decide what direction the family would take. He came to Eve. A deliberate subversion of God's order. This was nothing less than the devilish calculation to undermine God. And so it was Eve who answered the devil and it was Eve who gave to Adam to eat. And from the feel of the text, it seems as though Adam was there the whole time with his mouth shut and hands off until it wasn't when he put his hands on the fruit and opened his mouth to eat. But clearly, Adam failed her before she failed God. So Satan dealt with Eve. But who did God deal with? God came to Adam. It says in Genesis 3.9, the Lord called to the man. This is after the fact. The Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? So husbands and fathers will give account to God for the well-being of the home. And it would, Satan would subvert that order. Let me read something uh, I think that will be helpful. This is from um, Douglas Moo. The submission of the wife can, of course, take the form of obedience. But it is probably significant that the household code here in Colossians urges wives to submit to their husbands, but children and slaves to obey their fathers and masters respectively. This pattern is typical, though not universal, in the New Testament. And it suggests that the New Testament writers put the relationship of wife to husband in a different and less authoritarian category than these others. Obedience naturally fits a situation in which orders are being issued and in which the party obeying has little choice in the matter. Submission, on the other hand, suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. To submit is to recognize a relationship of order established by God. There's a few uh, things that I want you uh, wives to remember. Um, I, I have a feeling you would rather have me say much less on this topic or say a lot more. Um, but I, I'm not going to say a lot more than just these five quick things. Remember, first of all, that women are not called to submit to men in general. Women are not called to submit to men in general. It's wives who are called specifically to submit to their husbands. Remember, second, that this is fitting in the Lord. That is, you will answer to God in this matter. Third, Remember that this has nothing to do with your worth, which is fully equal to your husband's. And fourth, remember also that this has nothing to do with your ability, which may very well surpass that of your husband's in a number of ways. And number five, the New Testament code does not mean that in every single marriage, the wife is going to carry out the same duties as every other marriage, domestic duties or otherwise, as though the shape of every marriage and the shape of every home is the product of one single cookie cutter. Okay? That's not the way it is. There is freedom in these matters, while clearly 
the command still stands. And that's all I'm going to say about verse 18. Let's get on to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I, I told you at the beginning that there are a number of differences between the Christian household code and that of the ancient world or yeah, that of the ancient worlds. So let me read something else from Douglas Moo. This is good. Requiring wives to submit to the husbands matches widespread Greek and Jewish teaching about marriage. Requiring husbands to love their wives does not. No other code we have discovered from the ancient world requires husbands to love their wives. So again, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, to submit to your husbands requires that you humble yourselves. And husbands, to love our wives requires that we humble ourselves. Do you see how this works? Both are required to humble themselves before the other and put the other before self. This is authority, but it's nothing like the world knows. This leadership doesn't lord. This leadership loves. It is authority that serves. It's Christ-like love. Laying me down in order to lift her up. It means that we must consider her in everything and value her above myself. And love means loving. It doesn't just mean action. As is often said, love is a verb. We, that, of course, that's true, very important. Love is action, love is a verb. But love must be loving. The loving attitude. Gentle and kind. And if love isn't loving like that, it's not love, period. Think of the authority of Jesus, who is Lord over all. He said the yoke that we are to come under is easy, and the burden is light. He calls us to come under His authority to have rest for our souls. So if we're going to picture marriage as a yoke, just because the man has authority doesn't mean that the wife is under the man's yoke. It means that they are yoked together under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, side by side. In Christian marriage, then, we don't lay burdens on our wives, but we lift those burdens, and we are to bear those burdens. Love means that I encourage her in the way of Christ, even when that way is going to be costly and painful. And the husband must lead in such a way that the wife knows they're headed to glory together, and the husband would have no other destination. And the husband must love in such a way that the wife knows without a doubt that the husband would not want anyone else ever at his side. And so we're required to, to love our wives. This is the Christian code. Let's go to verse 20. We're coming to our second pairing now, children and that of fathers. And it's actually of all these verses... Probably you would think one of the others is where I would spend the bulk of my time, but I want to spend the, the most of my time in verse 21. So let's look at verse 20 now. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
Now, I guess there could be a question about how long does this command remain um, relevant? Uh, that might not be the best word for the relationship of children and to their parents. And I would say this, as long as the child is under the care and the protection of his or her parents, they are under the authority of the parents. Now, very clearly, the child is always for lifelong to honor mom and dad. But uh, just to clarify, as long as the child is under the care of the parent, needing that care, needing that protection, they are under the direct authority of their parents. So to love Jesus, Paul is clear, to love Jesus and to please Jesus, Jesus commands that children must obey their parents. And to encourage uh, the few children that we have with us here, is that little one paying attention, um, to, to encourage our children, it's not your parents who ultimately commands you. It's Jesus who commands you. And it means that it's Jesus that ultimately is the one who is being pleased. So what is children, what does true obedience to Jesus look like? It means that you obey Jesus even when you don't understand because you trust Him. And obeying Jesus means that you obey from the heart even when obedience is hard. And so it is with your parents. Now, um, I think that obedience can get complicated in a home where there is abuse. But in a Christian home, obedience is clear-cut, it's plain, and it's straightforward. Obey in everything. Do not obey in your time, but in your parents' time. Obey from the heart, not grudgingly, willingly, even when it's hard. Obey trusting, even when you don't understand. And even as that obedience pleases mom and dad, it pleases the Lord Jesus Christ even more. And if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, truly from your heart and personal relationship with Him, He will give you all the help that you need. And remember that when you do fail, as you will fail in obedience, remember that the Lord is merciful and He forgives and He helps you to start over again. Let's come to verse 21 now. Now, obedience is not easy for anyone, and children are no different. And fathers should not make it any harder than what it is. If children are discouraged because of how we command obedience, they're going to be tempted to give up obedience. And that's what verse 21 is meant to prevent. Okay, let's read it. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, clearly this applies to mothers too. But the ultimate responsibility for this is given to fathers because of the headship that God has given to fathers in the home. Now, one way that we can discourage our children is by being impossible to please. And some parents are like that. They are impossible to please. Now let's think about our relationship with God for a moment. Isn't it amazing 
that we can please God. And that we do please God. That is amazing. Because God is supremely and perfectly holy, and we are the furthest thing from that in ourselves. And yet the Lord is pleased. Because in our, in the middle of our efforts as, as Christians, He forgives all the false in our efforts and He receives gladly all what's true in our efforts. I mean, He's the one that makes it so anyway. But He forgives and He rewards. He encourages us in our efforts. He smiles upon those from the heart efforts. He commends us and He promises reward that's far more than anything that we are giving in obedience to Him. And He does that simply because of who He is. So do we hold our children in our homes to impossible standards? If the Lord is pleased and honored with our efforts, even as broken as they are, then we should encourage our children and praise them for their efforts when they're from the heart. Another thing that I want to concentrate on is, um, and, and by the way, if you're not a father, um, I, I still want you to be challenged by this. This applies, obviously, to moms as well. But... Um, I want all of us to be challenged by this. I think this is important. But I'll address this to fathers. Fathers, what is the tone of your home? What is the tone, the overall feel, the tone of your home? One of the most helpful tips that I have ever received in preaching is that not only must I get the text right, but I must get its tone right. I don't give the true meaning of the text if I reproduce the Lord's words, but not His tone. Meaning that I must not only say what the Lord says, but I must also say it how He says it. So for example, Psalm 23. You know what it's about. And you know how gently reassuring it is. Encouraging us that we can trust the Lord together. Now, I can get the, um, I can get the text right and I can reproduce the Lord's words. But if I berated you this morning, or say when I preached Psalm 23, if I berated you and I blasted you for failing to trust the Lord, I've preached that text all wrong. Do you see that? Do you see what I mean? I must not only reproduce the words, but I must reproduce the tone. Or the interpretation is wrong. My preaching would be wrong. So it is with our parenting. It's required of fathers not only to set the right rules, but to set the right tone as well. To not only rule for the Lord, but rule like the Lord. And if we don't, just like I would get my preaching wrong, then we get our parenting wrong. So the question is, how does the Lord rule His people? What is His tone in ruling His people? Let me ask you some questions. Does Jesus wear you down? When you read the New Testament and you read His commands, His promises, His warnings, does Jesus wear you down? Or does Jesus empower you? Does He enslave you? 
or free you. And I want you to, you know, gauge this to our parenting. Does he force you to become something that you aren't? Or does he free you to become who you are? Now, I, don't get me wrong. Don't think that I am saying that parents should encourage their children to follow every single whim of their hearts. As the culture says, just follow your hearts. Yada, yada, yada. Blah, blah, blah. Does he slam you with the law? Or does he lift you up with grace? And do you know from how he talks to you that he loves you? Now you know the answers to those questions. And so in our homes, I don't think it's hard to get the rules right. But we must keep on trying to get grace right. The rules are easy, but getting grace right is hard. As the Lord remembers our frame, that we are dust, we must remember the frame of our children. As the Lord is compassionate to us, remembering our frame, we must be compassionate toward our children. Don't require what God requires with a tone that's foreign to Him. Now, I don't mean before all the kids in here want to elbow mom and dad, I don't mean that God is never angered and that He never sounds angry. Not all of my preaching to you is gentle. I hope most of it sounds gracious because that's the overall tone of the Word of God. But not all of my preaching is gentle because not all of the Word of God is gentle. I think for everything in the season of parenting, there is there is a time. There is a time for parental anger, parental grief, and parental exasperation. But we must remember that God is slow to anger. And He does not manifest that anger every time His children stumble. He manifests that anger when His children are persistent in going their own way. When he is angry, let's note this as well. His tone is never cold and it's never condescending. So I'm really not talking about a specific moment, although obviously this applies, but I'm talking about the sum of all the moments. What is the overall tone of your home and your parenting? Remember, the Lord is slow to anger and He is trigger-happy with mercy. His love is steadfast. If we want our children simply to behave, we're going to raise up Pharisees who draw near with their lips, but whose hearts are far from us and who won't restrain their lips forever. But if we want them to know the Lord Jesus, and isn't that the goal of our parenting as Christians, and our grandparenting, by the way, If we want our children to know the Lord Jesus, then they must know His love. I don't know if it has ever struck me in my personal experience. I'm not talking by the Bible. But I don't know if it has ever struck me in my own experience how much of a sinner I am as anything like my experience of parenting. If you want to know you're a sinner, <laughs> become a parent. After a little while, it will become abundantly clear. In all of these relationships, 
I feel the weight of my sin and my shortcoming every single day. So I don't, uh, I have no intent on letting myself off the hook or letting you off the hook because the Bible doesn't. But I do want to encourage you that the Lord forgives and the Lord strengthens you to become, even in the home, who you really are in Christ. To grow as a parent, to grow as a grandparent, to become more biblical and to set the right tone in all of these relationships. Jesus is Lord of all creation. He is Lord of the church. And He is the Lord of the home. He is Lord of you and all of your relationships. In every square inch of your life, He lays claim. Let's submit to Him. Let's submit to Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. And we thank You, we praise You for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have had enough of going our own way and doing what we want as pleases us. And I pray, Father, that not only would that be true in general, but specifically even in our home life, that we would not do our own thing whether we are in the position of wife or husband, child or parent, I pray that we would submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and know that and be glad that we are under His charge, His command. And I pray, Father, that as we've been speaking so much and rejoicing in the fact that we are becoming who we are, I pray that this would be true in the home too. I pray that we would see real growth and real progress and conformity to Christ. Help us. We cannot be faithful on our own. We need You. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.